Unshaken is a discipleship podcast that exists to edify and encourage all believers in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the Apostle Paul writes, Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. By His divine power, Jesus has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So let's consider together how we might spur one another on towards love and good works. Join us as we talk about various topics, including the work of the ministry, the many joys and challenges of the Christian life, and the Holy Spirit whom Jesus promised would guide us into all truth. All right, back again for another episode with our podcast Unshaken and going through this book, We Will Not Be Silenced. Yep, if you're tuning in live on YouTube this morning, uh, it's Maundy Thursday, and if <laughs> you're going to listen to any of the uh, audio platforms, yes, then you'll you'll probably be hearing this on Good Friday. Yes, and um, and this is my favorite time. I, I've I've told my wife and a few others this is my favorite time of the year. Just yeah. remembering our Lord, yep. what he what he did for us, you know, and how he uh, he was obedient to the Father to the point of death. It's huge, and I mean, huge. you get to celebrate that. Yes, and all that he accomplished for us. Uh, Heading into the weekend, yes, and you've got a devotional for us, yes, on on that very thing. So why don't you yeah, go I ahead? I just want to, you know, I kind of was thinking last night because um, we do different things. Like you'll do a, uh, maybe a song, mm-hmm. uh, we'll do a, a a book of the month or a devotion, and I thought, you know, it's Good Friday, you know, after today, why not share something about Good Friday? And so I, I found this. I thought it was pretty good, and it's called What's So Good About Good Friday, which makes a lot of sense when you think about Mm -hmm. what he went through uh, leading into his crucifixion. So it goes, what is is Good Friday, and why do we call Good Friday good when it is such a dark and bleak event commemorating a day of suffering and death for Jesus? Good Friday, the Friday before Easter, is the Christian holy day to commemorate the crucifixion of Jesus and his death at Calvary. For Christians, Good Friday is a crucial day of the year because it celebrates what we believe to be the most momentous weekend in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. Ever since Jesus died and was raised, Christians have proclaimed the cross, death, and resurrection of Jesus to be the decisive turning point for all creation. Paul considered it to be of first importance that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and raised to life on the third day, all according to all in accordance with what God had promised all along in the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So we see the observations we make and how specific that Paul says, this is not something that I thought of. This is not something that we just thought, think it happened, mm-hmm. but it was prophesied yeah. according to the scriptures. So I like what he says there. So nobody can uh, rebuttal the uh, the reality and the factuality of what Jesus did for us. He says on Good Friday we remember the day Jesus willingly suffered and died by crucifixion as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. First John chapter one verse ten. It is followed by Easter, the glorious celebration of the day Jesus was raised from the dead, heralding his victory over sin and death and pointing ahead to a future resurrection for all who are united to him by faith, Romans 6, 5, which says, For we 
For if we have been united together in, his like, in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Which I like that, the promise is that we not just believe what he did and that's it in this life, but that in the life to come, a greater um, enjoyment we have and, and fulfillment of what he did. So we see the significance all around why we call Good Friday good. Right. And then it goes on to say, the cross is where we see the, the convergence of great suffering. And, and I like, and what I saw was this was so good. The cross is where we see the convergence of great suffering and God's forgiveness. Psalm 85.10 sings of a day when righteousness and peace will kiss each other. And I, I read this, I go, wow, man. You know, you read the Psalms, and you, but then you see a different uh, concept of what he says, what it says there. It says, mercy and truth have met together Righteousness and peace have kissed. And mm. wow, that, that's powerful. He says, the crosses of, of Jesus is where that occurred, where God's demands, his righteousness coincided with his mercy. We receive divine forgiveness, mercy, and peace because Jesus willingly took our divine punishment, the result of God's righteousness against sin, for the joy set before him, Hebrews 12.2. Jesus endured the cross on Good Friday, knowing it led to his resurrection our salvation, and the beginning of God's reign of righteousness and peace. Good Friday marks the day when wrath and mercy met at the cross. That's why Good Friday is so dark and so good. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, what a, what a neat devotion that really simpli- and simply explains you know, Good Friday and why it's important for us as Christians, why at, at times we think, yeah, what is so good about Good Friday when you see how horrific the treatment that he received, but then... We understand the fullness of why he did what he, he did because of us. Mm. You know, just how, how our life, how sinful we are. Yeah, and that's the significance it makes to us when we realize what we are and who we are, and yet he did that in spite of that. Mm-hmm. And that's why Good Friday is so good. And I I love how special year after year this time is for the believer, for the Christian, mm-hmm. and for the churches to sure. to reflect and almost relive these events yeah. in. In history of Jesus going to the cross, I mean, we start like Monday Thursday today. We remember uh, that that time in in the Garden of Gethsemane yep. where he's praying and crying sure. out, "God, take this cup. If it be your will, take this cup mm-hmm. from me. Mm-hmm. But yet not my, my will, will, but yours be done." And 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 just the um, the overwhelming emotion, and I mean, sweating drops of blood, and then we we come to Good yep. Friday. And it, it takes on a very different yeah. tone, right, from in comparison to Easter Sunday, sure. which is very celebratory. Yep. I think Good Friday, there's there's much to celebrate, but a little bit more somber tone yeah. because because of just the, the emotion and remembering what, what exactly took place, not just on earth, but in the heavenly realms, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I remember this, uh, this hymn, um, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Uh, this this verse I think uh, in this in this hymn just explains it mm-hmm. so so beautifully. It says how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. Mm-hmm. That's that's you and me, yeah, right? Sure. Yep. How how great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Mm-hmm. So we celebrate in what was accomplished, right? Sure. Uh, the atonement, mm-hmm. and um, we know that that it was on Good Friday, moments after he he gave his last breath and said, "It is finished." 
that temple veil was torn, torn in yeah. two from top to bottom and we were given access direct yeah. access to the father uh, forgiveness of sins redemption mm-hmm. um but yet at, at such a great cost yeah you know you think about um all that he went through emotionally mm-hmm. you know because we can't even fathom or yeah. comprehend the depth of what he was experiencing like you said in the garden of gethsemane i mean dropping as it, it was great sweats of blood mm-hmm. which is a medical um uh, issue called hematotrosis, where he says that you can be under so much stress and strain, the actual capillaries in your body begins to burst, yeah. and then it has the appearance as you're sweating drops of blood. Mm. So the fact that he knew what was before him, and knowing that was the only way, him being God fully, God but man, knowing that this is the only way that that man could be redeemed. Mm-hmm. He's got to come through me. And so, you know, you, you think about all of that, you know, and it's, you know, all the things, washing the disciples' feet, yeah. you know, setting the example of letting them understand this is what it means to be a servant. You don't understand this now, but you will later. Mm-hmm. And then leading into, like, he's the garden experience and, you know, praying. Like, I, I think about that, gosh, man, what he was going through mentally, mm-hmm. emotionally, everything, physically, how he was just being just crushed mm-hmm. by the thought, knowing what was before him. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like... I can't even, and then, then on top of all of that, when he's on the cross saying, um, "Father, Father, why have you forsaken me?" Mm-hmm. Knowing that at the moment he was going to bear the sins of the world upon himself, knowing God can't look upon sin, had to turn away from his son in that moment. Can you imagine that? Just like your dad saying, "I want nothing to do with you now," and just turning away and walking away from you as, as a son. I mean, for the for the very first, first time. time. Yes. We know that that yeah. Jesus is eternal Himself, right? And He lived all of yep. uh, eternity past with yes. you know in, in perfect communion mm-hmm. with the Father, with yep. the Holy Spirit, and for that communion, that fellowship to be broken, broken yep. in that in that moment. So you know that's wow. why you know, like you said, this is a really significant time. Like you said, it is. It's it's my favorite time of the year as well because mm-hmm. you know we don't think about Good Friday mm-hmm. of what Christ went through because we always celebrate, like you said, Easter. Yeah, resurrection. Yeah. It is celebratory. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But leading into that, then you begin to put the pieces together, and then you realize, wow, this is this is momentous. Like the the, the devotion said, this is a really uh, significant time yeah. for us as believers. Because if he didn't do that, we wouldn't be talking right now. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool time of the year. Well, praise God. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Let's uh. Let's get into our book. Jump back into All right. We will not be silenced. Yes. We're still in uh, chapter three. Yes. Use diversity to divide and destroy. Picking up on page eighty-one, uh, the section titled "Enter Diversity Studies." Studies. Yeah. What you got for us in this one? Well, I, I'll go down to the <clears throat> middle of the. Well, let's go. Let's start at the beginning where he talks about. I have no doubt that many students in our universities who enroll in social justice classes. And only mean well, but often benefit from such studies to help bring about racial reconciliation. But I'm equally convinced that many courses in the classroom and discourses on the internet are designed to field in differences and raise those said to be oppressed and target the supposed oppressors. And I can I can share an example of this because my son, who's a believer, and he's taking um, social uh, justice classes, or he's in you know social work, mm-hmm. and he will stand firm in his belief about, you know, transgenderism, not to dis- in disparity, 
but to share the biblical principles of why he doesn't accept that. And he says, I don't speak out vocally against the individual, but it's a lifestyle that's not acceptable by God because of what the scriptures say. And he's he has been targeted with, I mean, aggressive rebuttals uh, against him by his professors and, and students. And he's been approved. He's going to graduate next month. Yeah. And he's been approved for a ninth-month master's program. And he mm-hmm. said, and we asked him, he says, you know what, I'm taking a break because I don't want to continue to be bombarded and not have my my point of view be respected. I'm not respected. When I say stuff, I'm attacked. Mm-hmm. And he says, I need to take a break. And um, just so that, because I don't want to be encumbered by this type of uh, mental and, and, and emotional um, aggression to where I can't even do my study, you know, yeah. constantly yeah. what I'm going for. So he's going to take a break. But you know what? Kudos to my son. He stands firm. He's not going to give in to their persuasiveness to say that he's wrong mm. and, and why are you, you know, speaking like that. So mm-hmm. he just shared that with us. So this is kind of a good timing to bring this out. And he doesn't talk in any way a negative or, or he doesn't be disrespectful. He just brings out the biblical uh, scriptures and mm. the b- b- biblical point of view and perspective of why it's wrong. Yeah, you got you to gotta test all yeah. things because I'm yeah. amazed by how much power and influence these college professors oh, have huge, today. Oh, huge, huge. You, you go around on any college campus and you you know start challenging students on on their different views, and they'll immediately like quote maybe a professor in a yeah. in a class that they had, yeah. and and expect that alone to to hold such sure. you know um, value in, in terms of credibility and yeah that's that's ultimate truth and we can't come against it like and if, it's, yeah <laughs> it's it's hard and you, you know what's really to me that's depressing if you think about it many of the Ivy League colleges in their um, foundings were Christian yeah in value oh yeah you know Harvard yeah. Yale all mm-hmm. of them were very biblically aligned. And now um, you see how much persuasion over the course of many years that they have changed their perspective and their and their conservative views to become much more culturally relevant. I guess that would be the right terminology. And uh, and, and it's sad because now these students that are believers, they, I mean, this almost went strike against them. My other son went to UH and took a religion class. And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, his professor, when he found out he was a Christian, just belittled my son. But he didn't back down, my middle boy. And he told me, hey, Dad, my professor said this. And I go, hey, tell your professor I'd love to debate him. <laughs> I'd love to go in his class and debate him. Of yeah. course, I can't do that. But, right, right. but he knew, my son knew. But he just said, yeah, it's amazing how if I say anything that is Christian or they find out I am, then I'm the one that's the enemy now. You know. And he tries to tell me that my views are wrong about what you believe and what you think now because this is the 21st century. Yeah. Kind of thing. So yeah, it's pretty pretty incredible the changes that have happened. And so with the diver- diversity studies comes the, you know, social social justice uh, theories and goals. Mm-hmm. We talked about critical race theory yeah. last week. Yeah. Uh, top of page eighty two, how the CRT ad- advocates for social de- justice, um, advocates sorry for social justice by stressing how whites have oppressed blacks, how men have oppressed women how heterosexuals have oppressed homosexuals, how Christians have oppressed Muslims, and so on. And this is all sold under the banner of seeking justice for those who are oppressed. And, and I think this is comes with, a, you know, big, often big misunderstandings yeah. of 
you know, what's really happening yep. uh, versus maybe what it might appear yeah. to be at, at the surface. And they're not seeking the the uh, true understanding of, of what's going on in, in yeah. these various um, conversations or events taking place. It just becomes these broader stereotypes that are placed upon... <laughs> And that's the, that's the uh, you know the thing you said stereotype, and that's that's a that's a really word that's used today when it comes to you know race issues between yeah. the different yeah. ethnic groups. I mean, I like what he says at the end of eighty one, and we going into eighty two. Says, and in a fallen world, everyone is victimized by somebody. Mm. I mean, that's true, but to compartmentalize well whites against blacks and so on and so on, that that's not true. I mean, you see, and I'm not in any way being insensitive, but you see a lot of the African-American doing things against their own ethnicity, own crimes against their own race. I mean, have there been whites oppressing blacks? Of course, sure. But they've happened to every um, race. There's been different types of anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. Is it right? No. But to say that and particularly single out whites against blacks, so on and so forth, that's not true. Um, I grew up in L.A., I mean, so I, 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 I hung around with the African-Americans. They're good friends, my best friends an African-American. And he will tell you the same thing, that there has been oppression from whites against blacks. Yes, but there's also much oppression, blacks against their own group, oh, against yeah. blacks. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I hate to say that, but it's, it's true. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, to me, it's like, hey, um, call and talk truth when truth needs to be talked. But don't... don't you know, say that your situation of why we of what we go through is because of the 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 whites. No, it's not true at all. Mm -hmm. uh, there's 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 problems with every race with race against race, um, race Mexicans against Mexicans. I mean, Asians against Asians. It's it's been, it's just it's like that. But like he said, we live in a fallen world, and nothing's going to change and transpire. Of course, we know as Christians until God comes and sets things right. Until then, we're going to always have these problems. And today, I think, like we've said, and like the book points out, they on purpose and deliberately cause this type of chaos simply because they want to enforce their Marxist cultural type of rule within mm -hmm. our culture today. They're saying, see, nobody can get along, but it's deliberate. I, that's just my feelings. They, the things that are going on um, are deliberate. Yeah. You know, and under under when when all the stuff happened after George Floyd's murder, the things that happened when I look back now and see what took place, that was all deliberate. There was no peace. There was no, they mm -hmm. weren't looking for justice. There was chaos. Yeah, and disorder. Yeah, you know, continually. And in, in the midst of these efforts, what are they doing? They're they're causing people to get really soft. Yeah, really, really sensitive, ultra sensitive, yep. to the point where he says, bottom of eighty two, that the, the victimized are told that. When they're exposed to what they perceive to be oppression, even it might not even be oppression, but mm -hmm. what they perceive to be mm -hmm. oppression, they should demand a quote-unquote safe place where they can deal with the resultant anxiety and hurt feelings. And this is called safetyism. It's not a matter of physical safety, but emotional support and healing because of the harm that is said to have been done to them. This stance even determines which guest speakers are or aren't allowed to speak on a university campus. If students claim a speaker might say something considered offensive or triggering to someone else, then that speaker is disinvited or told not to come. And we, yeah. it's funny, we were talking just the other day about how 
uh, in professional sports yeah. nowadays, it's it's just soft. It's exactly like that. And with every social issue, yep, soft. Yep, we, yep. you know, we can't just roll with the punches yep. anymore. And it's yep. really unfortunate because I feel like it is. I feel like our you know grandparents, great grandparents would would totally be shaking their heads at at us right now. Yeah, I mean, come e- on. E- looking even on the educational system, in the education, you can't enforce discipline when a ch- when a student is disrespectful, rudely threatening. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to. Otherwise, you lose your job. You can get sued. But what about the reverse? A student possibly hurting somebody, an administrative, a teacher. I mean, of course, we talked about this. And when I was going to school, you didn't do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You you would get disciplined for it. And so we didn't have the type of unruliness that you see, I mean, permeating on campus after campus after campus. I mean, even some campuses, not so much here, but in some states in the mainland, they have metal detectors that you got to go through mm-hmm. before you got on campus. When in Kentucky, they have a school, it's a disciplinary school called Martin Luther King. Uh, and it's a good school. Everybody wears uniforms, so there's no identity issue. You're not going to sag and all this kind of stuff. But to enter that school, they had a metal detector. Hmm. These are all from kids that are uh, behavioral issues, kids that are extreme. And so they and they, they enforce discipline. You did not say curse words. You did not disrespect your teachers, your administrators, nothing. You walked on one side of the sidewalk, mm-hmm. the right side, and uh, and they they did that so that they want to transition you back into high school so that you can become a responsible citizen within the community when you got out. Yeah. But they were they were teaching you that. You don't do that today. No. And yet you see the, the, the chaos you have. And like you said, because everything has become so soft. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, we're afraid because of what might happen to us. Yep. I mean, even, even discipline is, yep. is, is being... Um, you know, frowned upon oh, and dismissed yeah. nowadays, like even as a parent, rendered ineffective. Like, really, yeah. it, it it's worked for generations after generations. <laughs> worked on me, yeah. You know, what I'm same, saying? same. Worked on me, but now if you, if a parent or somebody hears of you, uh, let's say enforcing corporal punishment, mm-hmm. then they report you. You can be in trouble with CPS. Yeah. Oh, yeah. child abuse. Really, child abuse. Bible says. Mm, it, uh, Solomon said in Proverbs, "If you beat them, they won't die. Spare the rod, reap corruption the child." Right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying this that you go ahead and beat your kid, right. but I'm saying yeah. that it's, it's to, it's to enforce the type of discipline that meets the consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, there has, so, there has to be there negative has to reinforcement. Be, I mean, that's, that's even something we learn in, in secular psychology, right? Negative, yeah. positive yeah. reinforcement when, yeah. when it calls for it, but. Today, there's yeah. no such thing. You can't do that kind of stuff. It's, it's only positive reinforcement. It's only positive, yeah. We, yes. we, I only reward you and reward you even if yeah. you mess up. And yeah. it's like, what's the point in that? Sports today, every every kid gets a trophy. Was that was that how it was back in your day? No, no. You get your second place. No, hey, the, you don't. <laughs> the idea was bad. is to, Try harder. <laughs> to bring the best out of you. Yeah. That's yeah. why they were, you know, you wanted, you wanted the, 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 the gold medal. Mm-hmm. Right, because mm-hmm. you're not you don't go to Olympics to to only train to get the gold or, bron- or the bronze or silver medal. You're trying to get the mo- gold medal. Mm-hmm. If you come in second or third, okay, great accomplishment, but that's not the goal. Right. But so if you go, if you're if you're training, say, well, you did a good job. What's the sense? Right. Why yeah. do you want to do that for? Yeah. But like you said, that's the way the trend have, has become across everything today um, within our culture. Which to me, like you said, we've we've been we've building a, a, a culture. Of of and a generation of adults and kids that 
they have no perspective on 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 doing things that that is correct for them. And you become like you said, they become soft. Yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, don't don't touch me. Oh, or you know what I'm. This is it's it's just crazy stuff that's going on today mm-hmm. within the culture. Yeah, I mean it it really gets in the way of having healthy conversation too and dialogue. Yep. The moment they become uncomfortable, they retreat to this safe Safety place, is, yep. or they say yep. I'm uncomfortable, and they refuse to talk anymore and yep. engage. It's like how are we going to get anywhere if no? That's how it's going to be. Well, the, the the thing that resolves we know in differences and whether you know you're married now is is healthy communication. Mm-hmm. Is being able to agree to disagree. You know, you may not have to agree with somebody, but you can come to a, a sensible uh, understanding and 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 accept each other's values and value their opinion, even though you right. may not agree. Right. Today, that's not even the point. You don't even see mm-hmm. that now. Now you're being either judgmental, you're being critical, or you're being disrespectful. Even though you know that's not the point. Mm-hmm. That's what we see happening quite a bit today yeah. within you know uh, culture and conversation. In the middle of chapter page eighty-three, you know, intersectionality. He says the concept of intersectionality was developed through the work of leftist law professor Kimberly Williams Crenshaw. As Ravi Saif put it, puts it, intersectionality is a philosophical framework that has come to dominate progressive activist thinking. In brief, there are multiple sources of oppression in connection with race, class, gender, sexuality, sexual orientation, etc. These, inter- these can intersect in a person's life in ways that put them at risk for multiple layers of oppression. All this, Crenshaw tells us, is about power. It is time for the oppressor, predominantly the whites, there you go again, to listen to the oppressed. It's not about asking, it's about demanding. It's about changing the very face of power itself. And so we see that the person that is being oppressed is the one that has the voice. You know, that's basically what he's saying here. And so there's all these different cross-sections of problems that can happen to, to the oppressed person. So like he says, it's not about asking, communication, talking things out. No, I'm demanding you. Mm-hmm. I'm demanding. And that's not healthy, making not demands. All. I mean, that's not yeah. that's that's being a tyrant. That's being a person of, of authoritarian. And that, does, that doesn't ever re- result in anything positive or, or anything that is productive when mm-hmm. you have that type of perspective on how you want to get things done. Right. And so that, to me, is like, wow. Um, and that was the loud, that was like you said, in the book he says, Hugh screams the loudest, wins. Mm-hmm. So if you look back and all this, we want equality, we, we're tired of Black Lives Matter. And I, and I understand, like Pastor Tony Clark, he said it well, for what they stand for, what they are expressing, he agrees with, but not what they stood for. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. And we all want equality across every gender, yeah. but the issue was they were screaming social justice, but in the face of what? Anarchy and chaos. That's what happens when you demand. And I like how they, you know, they call this like a philosophical framework and not a social construct because this sure looks looks like a social cr- construct to me, right? Like yep. if, you're, if you're a white male, mm-hmm. you are the oppressor. Yep. If you are a black male, you're... You are the oppressed. You're the, you're the oppressed. Yes. And if you're a black female, female you're even more, more oppressed. oppressed yep. It's like... So you know, don't tell it's, me that's not a social construct. I mean, no, yeah, it's it's you know, it's hard to, for me as a, as being a Christian for a long time, living in this country. I, I mean, I, I was raised in America, 
And I love this country to death. I would do, I would do anything for America. But to see the direction we're going, um, it's disheartening. To see we're we're going backwards. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're we're like taking steps backwards, and it's and it's just like gosh, you know, you know, you're you're a young husband and and a father, and I have you know my grown boys, but yet I have young grandkids. You know, twelve of them, and I and my heart just like Lord, man, I don't want them to be in this mess. Mm -hmm. They're too. They don't understand. You know, they don't understand what's going on. We do. And I look at them, and they're going to be the collateral damage in all of this stuff, yet that they don't deserve. You know what I mean? They don't deserve this stuff. I mean, it's not it's not right, and it's not fair. So stuff going on today to me is like there's so much selfishness that's happening um, within all the ethnic cultures of what they're advocating for, equality mm -hmm. and justice. And there's better ways to resolve that stuff, and it has to start from the top down, from our leadership all the way down to those who are working, hard-class working citizens that live in a country. And we become the victims because the people at the top, administratively, it's about not us, you know, government was created by the people, for the people, and of the people. No, it's for themselves. Yeah. So when you have two political parties that can't even get along, that kind of speaks loud and clear where, why we're in the, in, the, in, the, in the situation we're in. Yeah. Yeah. Because if they cared about America, the people itself, they would come together, they would work in harmony to, so that we can fix the mess in our country. And, yeah, find the common ground. Because yep. there, there is common ground. Yeah, there is. But they, point, but they play the blame game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, like you just, we just heard, you know, our president talk about what, you know, we have another podcast they do here. Yeah. Which like, you know, really? You know, what about, what about the people who live here? You, you, you're, you're singling out one uh, section of, 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 of people and you're making it as if they are the victims of everything. It's not true. Mm -hmm. It's not true at all. You know, like, hey, let's work a common ground for everybody who lives in this country, especially people that are citizens here. And let's fix the problem. Yep. And they, to me, they don't want to fix the problem. That's the way I look at it. I'm, I mean, looking at everything going they on. Want, they want the free handouts. Yep, yeah. Everything going on. And that's basically, to me, where we're headed to is exactly that we, we've talked about the Great Reset. Mm. They can fix the problems economically in this country. It doesn't take a, a brain surgeon to figure out how you can fix it. It's almost like they're deliberately not doing it at all. Yeah. You know, like, hey, let's... Uh, We'll take out all those, all these oils out of our reserves. Oh, I haven't seen prices come down. You know, have you? Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, have you? Have no. you seen gas prices come down? Yeah. I haven't. And so when's it going to happen? I mean, come on. You know, they kind of take us as fools. Like we, we're going to just kind of roll with it. No, we're not going to, because we know that we, this country, from top down, from the top, can do much better. Yeah, it can do a much better job. But. And it's not happening. So that's, I'm just kind of, I don't want to get off the subject, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I hear you loud and clear. Uh, let's yeah. let's talk about uh, critical race theory in the church. Sure. It's okay. the bottom of 84 yeah. into page 85 of the book. Um, okay. He labels this section, yeah, CRT in the church. Mm -hmm. He says, social justice theories have also infiltrated some churches, especially those of a liberal bent that say they are inclusive, meaning they accept same-sex marriage and the like. Yeah. Some Christians apparently don't understand that these theories are antithetical to Christianity on virtually every point. CRT teaches that a person's identity cannot be separated from the group to which they belong. If you are born white, you are labeled an oppressor regardless of your character or personal attitude. Individuality is lost within the group you belong to. And if you're born white and you choose to defend yourself against the charge of racism, 
what do they say? Oh, yeah, you're, you're a racist. racist. Yeah, this only proves that indeed you are a racist, he says. Wealthy black Americans are not considered persons of privilege, but a white person born into abject poverty is considered a person of privilege. There's no room for individuality, kindness, forgiveness, or meaningful reconciliation. Even more importantly, in the purely secular application of critical race theory, redemption is viewed as separating a group from oppressors, not as the need to be freed from sin by the gospel of God's saving grace. Salvation, in the radical view of CRT, is to gain power over your oppressors until the oppressed triumph over their professor over their oppressors. The conflict must continue. Pure Marx, and that's that's true to the point. It doesn't make any sense to me in the church to support this is blasphemous. To me, it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because the church and, and it's happening more and more. It's becoming, you know, culturally relevant. And while we have to be able to understand what's happening in the culture by becoming like the culture in the church, really, I mean, no. We are to continually to hold a biblical worldview that gives us the right perspective of how we are to deal with issues that are in the culture, yep. not the other way around. So to accept same-sex marriage. In the church to accept living together is okay because this is the 21st century yeah. to um advocate that it's okay to be a transgender because after all god loves everybody on the premise of love and compassion yeah god does love everybody doesn't but he doesn't accept sin mm-hmm. i don't care which way you how you cut the pie it still is not true yeah and for churches to to, to for me as a as a being a pastor and you so as well if this is a pastor's um um, trend. This is the the push he's going to believe in, or the stand he's going to take. Then my my uh, voice to those pastors that want to stand on that premise, they get out of the pulpit, mm. step down from ministry because you're not fulfilling what the Word of God says. Yep. You don't change Scripture, you don't reinterpret Scripture, you don't reinvent Scripture to fit your belief or understanding. It is what it is. Scripture is inerrant; it doesn't change. Jesus Christ, I'm the same yesterday, today, forever. And if that's the point, then he is the word. He doesn't change, so why are you changing to yeah. take on these views? We're going to be held to stricter judgment, too. And yeah. you can be you can be culturally relevant all yeah. you want, and you yeah. can take those positions all you want, but one day you're going to stand before the judge and give an account of not fulfilling your responsibilities of, yeah. which, of, of what you have been called as a shepherd. Mm-hmm. You are to take care of God's people. You are to tend the sheep. You're not to become relevant across all borders of, of culture within our community. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but with a sword. With a sword. Yeah. The Word of God cuts. It pierces. It does hurt, but for our benefit, yeah. to make us more like Him. You're not going to make a, somebody that's, that's of a same-sex marriage to become more like Christ if they don't want to repent. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm not being um, disrespectful. I'm just speaking truth. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to change my view. I've been a Christian 43 years. I've been in Pope been in ministry many years, and I'm going to stand on that. But if that's what you want to do, and you're a pastor listening to this, and you that's your stand, then Mike, get out of the pulpit. Yeah. Don't don't do that yeah. because it's a discredit to to what we're called to do, mm-hmm. and it's not right. You know, I mean, I may get blasted for that, but I will stand on on the premise of God's word and what we're supposed to be doing as as pastors in the the ministry. That's why James says, let there not be many teachers for great circuitous your judgment. Take that to heart. Take that to heart, what he means there. What what does he mean by that? Well, (laughs) it means exactly what he means. Mm -hmm. If you can't teach God's word line upon line, precept upon precept, book by book, as Isaiah said, then what are you doing, what are you doing? 
Yeah. Why are you doing what you're doing? You know, I, I'm, I'm too much afraid, honestly, the fear of God to make changes to please the masses. I won't do that. Yeah. I mean, Revelation, you add to it, I'm going to add the plagues. You take away from it, I'm going to take your name out of the book of life. That's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I just, you know, I, that, yeah, that's, this is a really good point because I think we've seen more and more of that becoming um, prevalent within your, um, your um, evangelical left. Churches that have taken much more of a liberal stand yeah. and position, and you know, I'm glad that we have a pastor that will never, never move to that direction. Yeah. I'm glad to be involved in this ministry because I understand it's hard. I've known him many years. So I know his heart. Yeah, uh, working with you, I know your heart. Working with our tech guy over there, I know his heart. And we wouldn't do that. Yeah, just to please people. I mean, right. you can slam us all you want, but we're not going to change. And like we were talking about a minute a minute ago, finding the common ground. Yes. Yeah. I'm reminded of the children's song, right? Mm-hmm. Red or yellow, black and mm-hmm. white, they are precious yeah. in his sight. Jesus, Jesus loves, loves the little, little children, children of the world. world. Yeah, there you go. So, okay, we are all precious mm-hmm. in, in God's sight. He loves us all. Yeah. Here's the problem. We need to be freed from sin. Yep. We are all yep. sinful yep. and broken and in need of a, yep. of a Savior. That's the common ground. Yep. Why, yep. why is that not being the point of emphasis in in the church on a weekly basis, I I, I get yep. it. There's, yep. um, you know, <clears throat> there's people. Um, probably the majority of congregations come in we- weekly, so you know they're very familiar with the gospel and they're mm-hmm. very very grateful, especially mm-hmm. this time of year that we we have Christ and and His finished work upon the cross. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that gospel of God saving grace it. is a salvation that we need. Yeah, not not this radical view like He's talking about. You know, in order to gain power over oppressors. The, the idea of coming to Christ and knowing what he's done for us, like we talked about, you know, Good Friday, and what salvation does, it doesn't—it liberates us, it doesn't oppress us, it doesn't restrict yes. us from what we want to do. You don't even know liberty until you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen. That's true liberty. Amen. You mean, people that are out there apart from Christ are in this world thinking, oh yeah, I can do whatever I want. But that's not liberty. That's being under bondage. Because you're trying to find means and ways to fulfill that which cannot be gratified unless you know Christ is your Savior. But to say that salvation oppresses you, I don't think so. Um, You don't know what oppression is until you are in another country where you're facing that type of uh, cultural uh, issues that they have to deal with ongoing. We don't know what oppression is in this country. Mm. But the oppression we face here is much different. It's, It's now between... The, the, cult, the, the ethnic, ethnic groups, they, they bring oppression deliberately, one race against the other, mm-hmm. which is, to me, it's really disheartening to see those things happening. But the issue, like you said here, the gospel saves until you understand you're a sinner, wretched sinner, then yeah, you're never going to change. I mean, like, like Romans 3.23, all of sin falls short of God's glory. That's right. For the wages of sin is death. How much more oppressed can you be? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty oppressed mm-hmm. that you're going to die if you don't change in your sin. That's pretty much an, but the gift of God is eternal life through who? Christ Jesus our Lord. You talk about freedom, you talk about liberty, there you go, right there. Yeah. Whew. Uh, right at the beginning, getting near the end of uh, page 85, it says, behind all this is Marx's idea that truth is only that which is used by the oppressors to keep the oppressed in submission. And I'm sure... It's talking about biblical truth. So there is no objective truth that we can strive toward, uh, strive toward to encourage unity. 
So then what is the solution? If this is the Marxist perspective, then what is the solution to unity then? Well, they say, according to, you know, to, um, to, according to Lutzer, you know, the, those that are being oppressed are, are saying that the solution is that the oppressors need to sit down and listen to us. That's not an oppression. I mean, that's not. Uh, that, that's not the solution. That's not the solution. No. That's that's called um, now being submissive forcefully, without having an opinion about what you feel, whether right or wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like I put I put a notation on, and I shared it a couple times already. But Amos three three can two walk together, without agreeing on the direction. Mm -hmm. That's the idea that when we when I talk with you about something, the, the and we disagree about one about whatever the issue might be. The direction and, and the res resolution we want is that of coming together and green so that we both can go in the same direction without becoming aggressive toward one another. I can agree to disagree with you, but we can still go in the same direction. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. We can still go in the same direction. Um, you know, but they, that's not the point here. Mm -hmm. There is no, they, they, you, so there is no objective truth that we can strive toward to encourage unity. So if that's the case, then what's, where do, what's the direction that? We are to go in. If we take this view, then I want to know. Then where? What's the direction? The their their solution that they propose is yes. that we have to believe exactly what they do, and and you know come into agreement with them, not agreeing to disagree, but we have to agree to agree, whether we believe it or not. Uh, and that's not unity. And if if not, then yeah, then you need to sit down, shut up, and yep. just and just listen. That's conditional. That's, that's conditional, and so where there is no freedom, there's no liberty. Yeah. And that's the point we're trying to get across. Uh, the direction that we are seeing our, our nation go in is this Marxist, cultural Marxist um, perspective, then that's that's the unity and the freedom you're going to have. You don't have it. Mm -hmm. It's forced. And I, and I feel for, uh, you know, for certain white people who, like we're reading in that paragraph before, mm -hmm. um, they they're trying to defend themselves. They they're trying to express their individuality. That you know what, I'm not, I'm not the oppressor. Mm -hmm. I'm on your side. Yep. And and they get they get silenced. Yep. They get canceled yep. immediately without their voices even being heard. So they have they have no chance. Well, because it goes against what they're trying to advocate. That's the reason why. So if you have somebody like you said of the the African American race, they say, hey, no, I'm, that's not true. Then it goes against everything they're trying to advocate to make their point, mm -hmm. bring their point across, which is really, really um, tragic mm -hmm. to shut somebody up of their own ethnic group to come with a different point of view to say no, you, that's we don't want you to say any of that stuff. Both, but you know, both sides yep. need to be willing to listen, and yep. both sides should be allowed to um, to to share. And I I think and. I remember Carly, uh, Charlie Kirk in one of his videos talking about how the best way to engage, it was either Charlie Kirk or, or Ben Shapiro, is, is by asking questions. Exactly. And, you know, we, we should at least allow each other to, to, do, to do that at, at bare minimum. Yep. You know, ask some questions, yeah. gain a level of understanding, and hopefully from there we can begin to appreciate one another and yep. what we, you know, believe personally, what we stand for. But if we can't even get to that point, then, then yeah, it's hopeless. Yeah, we're in a world. We're in a world of trouble. As far as the culture, we're in a world of trouble. Yeah. Um, 
He goes on at the top. I know we have to move. Mm-hmm, mm. uh, so this explains why many of the great accomplishments and works of Western civilization are being denounced these days. That said, those who are white need to be sensitive to the concerns of their brothers and sisters from other ethnic backgrounds. We, we've talked about that. And I like the balance that uh, Dr. Lutzer brings out. I mean, uh, yeah, Dr. Lutzer brings out here because he's not just being one-sided because yeah. he understands there is ignorance that has happened. Oh, yeah. He says, yeah. so then he goes, I've had black seminary students tell me that their courses in church history were dominated by the white theologians of Europe, and they longed to have a book written by someone who they could identify with, someone of their cultural background who shares their life experiences. I love that. Mm. We should listen to these concerns and make sure that black history and writers are included in the discussions of history of Christianity, going all the way back to the early theologians of North Africa. Without rejecting the past, we can be more inclusive and balanced in our seminaries and churches. And he says, but CTR is not the answer. CRT, yeah. I mean, CRT, yeah. I'm sorry, is not the answer. Yeah, and that's that's a wonderful point that he, he brings yeah. up because, yeah, when you do go to seminary, you get into mm-hmm. early church history, talking yeah. about the early church fathers. Yeah, they're all European. They're yep. all white. Yep. And my, my, my wife, she's African-American, and mm-hmm. she, she brought up a good point because she said, you know, even going to school, there's very little said— about the impact that African Americans has made in you in American history. Yeah. Only recently we have learned about certain things like movies that have come out, like the the three black women right, with right, NASA. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I never knew about that. I learned that through that. I mean, other things to me, even like with the Tuskegee Airmen. And for a long, I did, I I love um, you know history. I love like military history. I, I'm very much about because I'm from I'm a Vietnam. Uh, prodigal, you know, from yeah, that era. Yeah. So I'm always into war and you know stuff like that. I knew nothing. I've heard of them, but I didn't know the the what they went through and what they accomplished mm-hmm. in protecting the U.S. bombers going in on missions. Right. And mm-hmm. and how they were kept out because they were thought of of less. Uh, they were more indigenous. They couldn't learn that kind of stuff. And yet you see how prestigious and how decorated these airmen were. I knew none of that. So yeah, I agree. They should be much more um, brought forth about not just the African Americans, but all ethnic groups yeah. of how the impact they made in in our country, and that would bring, I think, mm-hmm. more racial equality when you see those things being now in our in our history books. And many have argued too about the Asian community, how they're arguably the the more oppressed, and yet yep. over the the past fifty to sixty years, they've been able to come out of that. And now they're like one of the richest demographics in our country. Yep. So like, much they've, they've provided technology, all that kind of stuff. I mean, but we from, don't talk about that. Yeah, yeah we don't talk about that. The thing is, how many how many uh, people know? Even even your millennials and and Generation Y and Z knew that in World War II, the Japanese were held in internment camps in uh, uh, arcade uh, at San Diego Racetrack that t- was turned into an internment mm-hmm. camp. So all the Japanese were um, after Pearl Harbor was bombed were arrested put into internment camps, and their possessions and banking accounts were seized and never returned to them. Until recently, the recent, our president, uh, I think it might have been Obama, that, you know, kind of made restitution for all, but not anything were near that they lost. Right. But right. recognized the injustice that was done to the Asian community when Pearl Harbor was bombed. I understand they did it for safety, but they arrested teachers, doctors, you name it, and confiscated all their assets all their accounts so mm-hmm. like i said those things i think they're important um because then you bring now understanding across all lines of of the ethnic groups about things that have happened to them but yet learn the history 
because that way there, it brings a much fuller understanding to our uh, people who in, in education to know, hey, these things truly happen. This is what went on kind of thing, you know? Yeah. All righty, where are we at now? Uh, let's jump over to page 88. Okay, I, I, I highlighted this section um, the con- on the contra- controversy about white guilt. Um, okay. It talks about this black leader, Shelby Steele, who wrote this book called White Guilt, How Blacks and Whites Together Destroyed the Promise of the Civil Rights Era. Um, and he's widely praised for his works. Uh, the book was endorsed by the Chicago Sun-Times. Mm-hmm. And in brief, he argues that during segregation, black Americans had responsibility, but no rewards. Now with the advances made in civil rights, black Americans have sometimes sought rewards without responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Although black Americans have been victimized by the white supremacy of the past, which is true, right? We, yep. we acknowledge that. Yes. He now chides some black American leaders and warns them that they are using white guilt to promote continuing black victimization yep. as an identity. Yep. Yep. And I, I see that. Yep. They are, uh, this agenda is purposeful in that they can continue and making this a part of the, their identity. Yep. This, is, this is who yep. I am inherently, yep. who I am uh, because, of, because of my race, because of my ethnic background. Yep. And, you know, and like I said, I think what you pointed out there was very evident, like I said, after the George Floyd incident. Mm-hmm. You saw the sem- saying we want social justice, but took it to the next level, which yeah. was to me was not, not acceptable. And that's exactly what you're saying there. Um, wanting that you read uh, rewards but not being responsible. So their mm-hmm. rewards was going um, and cause and create havoc and chaos and vandalism yep. without holding, being responsible for their actions. Mm-hmm. That doesn't resolve anything. And, and that's what I'm saying is what happens when things like that, and I, I want to be sensitive, but that's the stigma, the stereotypes you bring upon yourself by when you're on public television, media, and they see that across the country and in the world. Of what's taking place, yeah. and I'm not saying it's right, but again, take ownership because when you do stuff like that, I don't care who you are, right. whether you're black, you're white, you're Chinese, you're yellow, green, you do stuff like that, and they see you, then yeah, they're going to be a stigma and a stereotype attached to you because that's what they see happening. Yeah, you know, there's other ways to resolve, you know, the situation of social justice if you want to say that, and I'm not saying it hasn't happened to the African American. Um, ethnicity it has but there are better ways to resolve that type you to define equal to find uh, uh, like you said a, a common ground you don't do that mm-hmm. because it just reinforces their thinking because some people are very very um prejudiced against certain ethnic groups and they see that it just reinforces in their mind everything they believe although it's not true all you're doing is reinforcing that thought when they see stuff like that happening right. Right. again Rewards without responsibility, and that you can't happen. That's not even. That's a biblical misnomer. It's a, it's, a, it's a also a natural law misnomer. You don't do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You don't have that perspective on things. And so that's what he's contending, right? That yeah, that white guilt is being used by some, mm-hmm. not all, mm-hmm. but some Black Americans as a means to achieve rewards without yeah. responsibility. Um, some would say that guilt is used as a means by which minority, minorities can insist on unearned privileges. This encourages victims to feel entitled. 
And boy, do we have that oh, man. entitlement yep. mentality today. Yep. Big time. You know, I've never had that feeling. Of course, when I grew up, you know, in my era, you work for stuff. You yep. you, you yep. work for things. Everything you have, you, um, you earn. My yeah. dad said, you know, because I knew the situation with our, our, our you know, my father, you know, mm-hmm. that we weren't rolling in the bucks. And there are things that's with five kids, you know, my mom wasn't working. She's staying home mom. My dad, you know, worked hard to provide for the family. We didn't have a bad upbringing, but we just didn't have the extra. So my dad would just say, you know, I'm sorry, but um, if you want stuff, you got to work. Yep. So I got a paper out at nine years old. Wow. I, had a, I had a paper out and we used to deliver like, you know, with the bike and you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, throw it in the house. Wow. I had a paper out from nine years old until I entered high school. Eighth grade, all the way to eighth grade, and I quit. I went to high school, then I got a job working for Mickey D's, right? my first on-the-clock payroll job. Yeah. But the point I make saying is that I never felt entitled because I worked. The entitlement was the fact that I earned what I what I got. Mm-hmm. I bought I bought my own clothes most a lot, lot of times after I start working. I, I bought my own clothes. I bought my first car with my own money. So I don't feel, you know, I never felt entitled. But today, the the mentality of many kids today is that's what they feel. I don't know if it's coming from their parents. Yeah, I was gonna. I was you gonna know what I'm ask. Saying? Is that is that is that it a could parenting issue? It could be because my all my kids they never we never did that for them. We never said, "Oh, you're entitled to this or that." I'm not saying we didn't provide for them. But you're not giving them everything that no, they want. All my kids found jobs. They worked, you know, um, early on, mm. and I'm glad for that because it shows responsibility. It shows that they wanted to be responsible. They wanted to uh, make the best that they could with their own lives. Now they're all married. They have children. And I look back and I see how um, responsible they are in that way of providing for their own families without, and not saying that we haven't helped our kids. We do. And that's the parents' responsibility. Right, right. But they, it wasn't something like, oh, you owe me this, mom and dad. You know, mm-hmm. they, no. They know that's never going to come. But because I believe of the fact that we were, brought them up in the right sense, of course, with Christian values, that um, when we do help them out, there's a sense of, of appreciation, not entitlement, you know? Yeah. And that's, I, but today, I don't know how many parents, you know, um, you know, do things for their kids as if they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. And when you don't allow or, or, or encourage your children to be responsible, then yeah, then you're going to do everything for them. And mm-hmm. that's, that's counterproductive. Yeah, you know, it's counterproductive. Yeah, and You're... like you said, I think, I think today, and we know that how many feel this have this attitude of entitlement. Yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm learning that one firsthand. Like wanting to do things for the kids because it's if I do it, it'll get done yeah. quicker. Yeah, but you need to invest. Yeah, or else you'll hinder them yeah. in the long run with their development and being able to. To uh, take initiative and yeah. and take care of things around the home. Yeah, I remember um, yeah. when we were uh, in Kentucky. So we give the kids chores to do, you know, stuff like that. And they go, "We're gonna get paid." I go, "Paid what?" I go, "I'm barely making enough money to pay the rent." I go, "You're not getting, <laughs> you're not getting paid." I am serious, like yeah, we're not yeah. getting paid. But my youngest, but my oldest son Jared, like you know, when I would do, because my dad taught me automotive stuff, so I would do a lot of uh, stuff on the, my car on our vehicle. So, but it was a blessing. He would. Love to get under the car and see what I'm doing. Mm. You know, along with the safe or mowing the lawn, he would want to mow the lawn. Um, I said, "Well, no, you're too little yet." Because I, didn't, you know, we had a big yard, so I had a power mower. So we bought him a, a fake uh, lawnmower. He would, uh. he would walk <laughs> with us, 
But I learned all that from my dad because when I was growing up, we all had chores to do. We didn't get paid. Yeah. Yard work. And if we didn't do it, we got we got grounded. I remember one time my dad goes, I want you to mow the yard and do, you know, and dad, you need to buy a power mower. We had St. Augustine grass. Yeah, I don't know if you know St. Augustine is thicker than, thicker than, than the, than it's thick. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, I'm a 12 year old kid pushing the lawnmower, push lawnmower through St. Augustine grass. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm not doing that. I can remember, I'm not doing this today. You know, mad dad, I told dad, you need to invest in a power mower, dad. So I didn't do it, right? And so my dad came home from work, I remember. And he goes, did I tell you to do the mow the lawn? I go, well, I was going to do it tomorrow, you know. He goes, no, you're not. He goes, um, in fact, since you didn't do the lawn, he, I couldn't play Little League. I had a game, Little League game. Oh, wow. And he, he called me, told me to tell him, my coach told him, you're not playing because of you didn't do your chores. I learned real fast. Wow. That was an entitlement. He could have said, well, okay, you can do it tomorrow. You're right? No. Mm-hmm. And I... I didn't get to play in my baseball game. I was crushed. I never did that again. Mm. When my dad says, no, you're not entitled to do it the next day. You do it the day that I tell you. Yeah. And so, but today, I mean, yeah, there's so much entitlement going on. It's, it's really disheartening to see what's going on, what's happening. Yeah. Well, I think um, we'll, we'll pick up probably, unless you, you had anything else. No, we, I think we're pretty good. Yeah, we'll pick up next week on, on that very subject, right? The critical role of families in our national struggles. Oh, we could probably yeah, yeah, yeah. Spend a few few weeks talking just about you know statistics and yeah. what, uh, how the the roles in the home, yeah. you know, especially the having both the father and mother figure present, yeah, how that makes a huge yeah. impact. I might do some on research the, on that and yeah. bring up some stats on 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 the, the the importance of roles of mom and dad within the home and seeing uh, what the what's going on today. Mm-hmm. In in, yeah. in the in the black community, right? Many uh, many homes without the father in it. It's it's really tragic. They have the highest percentage of of absentee dads yeah. uh, of any ethnic group in, in in America. We in fact, America beyond that, we have the highest single family home of any country in the world. America does, mm. and yet we are supposed to be the most advanced and everything else. But right, yet right. we we see the troubles A lot happening. Of brokenness. Yeah, in our in our in our uh, in our country. So. Yeah. Anyway, well, good stuff. Yeah, next week we'll we'll hit that, and with it being uh, Good Friday, yeah, sure. uh, Pas- Passion Week coming to an end, we celebrate Easter this yeah. Sunday. I wanted to share a, a prayer from uh, Matthew Henry's book, A Way to Pray. It's a great resource for those of you that are looking to uh, spend some time in prayer, and not just praying, but praying the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great uh, scriptures and, and references along the way. Um, because it's basically, yeah, praying yep. straight, uh, straight scripture from the word, and um, great, yeah, great book. Matthew Henry's a really well-known uh, Bible commentator. Commentator, yeah. Uh, his Very his commentaries known. are are used. I think uh, I have them. I yeah, have many them. many of us pastors have, on staff. Yeah, we have them in my life. We have his collection. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, this is uh, in his section on Thanksgiving. Um, giving thanks for the accomplishments of redemption by the Son of God. Uh, Section 5, his prompt writes, Express your deepest awe at the full satisfaction Christ made to the justice of God for man's sin by the blood of his cross. Rejoice at the triumphs of the cross and all the benefits that flow to you by the dying of the Lord Jesus. So here begins the, the prayer. How amazing it is that you have displayed the depths of your love to us 
For while we were still continuing as sinners, Christ died for us. You are love, and this is love, not that we loved you, mm-hmm. that you loved us. In your love, you sent your Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. For by the death of your Son, we have been reconciled to you. We give thanks that by your gracious design, he tasted death for all, that through death, he might destroy him that has the power of death, that is, the devil. Father, we bless you that by one offering, Jesus has consecrated forever those that are being sanctified. For he has finished transgression, made an end of sin, made reconciliation for iniquity, and has brought in everlasting righteousness. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law by being a curse, by being made a curse for us. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through fallen human nature, you have done by sending your own Son in the likeness of that same fallen human nature. We give thanks that he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, for the chastisement that alone could bring peace between us and you, as our God fell on him, and by his stripes we are healed. For you have laid on him the iniquity of us all. How amazing is it how amazing it is that for our sakes you were pleased to bruise him and to put him to grief. We praise you that at the appointed time he arrived as a high priest to put away sin once and for all by the offering of himself. For by the eternal spirit he presented himself without blemish to you, and by his own blood entered once into the holy temple, the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. We rejoice that he has stripped rulers and authorities of their power, boldly exposing them and publicly parading his victory over them in his cross. For he has blotted out all the documentation of our violations of your ordinances, which testified against us. He got rid of that condemning record by nailing it to to his cross, for he himself is our peace, who has broken down the wall that divides Jew from Gentile, having united the two by creating in himself one new humanity. He has reconciled us both to you in one body, having slain the hostility between the two of us by the cross. How incomprehensible is the height, the depth, the length, and breadth of the love of Christ, which surpasses human knowledge. How great is that love with which he has loved us, for he has loved us, whatever the cost might be to himself, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He has made us kings and priests to you, our God. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. For he was slain and has redeemed us to you by his blood. Amen. Yeah, a little, little lengthy, but man, yeah, that's, that's a whole lot of scripture right there that yeah. um, speaks on uh, exactly what, what Christ came to do for us. Yeah, and that's why we celebrate um, not just tomorrow on the weekend, but the beginning Passion Week, mm-hmm. but really every day. Yes. You know, every single day we are so grateful for what he was willing to do in our place so that mm-hmm. we can enjoy the life that he's given us to enjoy. So yeah, yeah. Amen. good stuff.